scripture reading this morning as we continue our Land Between series uh, is actually from Genesis. We've been in Exodus, and last week we heard the story um, of the Israelites who didn't get to make it to the promised land, right? Because God finally just got fed up with them, and he's like, fine, you all want to go back to Egypt? You can die in the land between, and I'll take your other generations, your ancestors into the promised land. So we're going to reverse a little bit because last week we talked about how to not handle the land between. This week we're going to talk about how to handle the land between uh, because God intends growth in that time frame. So uh, our scripture this morning comes from Genesis 39 verses 6 through 23 and it goes like this. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Must be nice. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph uh and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself (coughs) with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me. But I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story that his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. All right, so I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about uh, my ordination track. Uh, Because in the Methodist church, we have different levels of education, different levels of being a pastor. And so uh, a lot of people start off as a supply pastor, which means that you've got no official Methodist training, but they need somebody to preach on Sundays in a small rural church somewhere. All right. That's how I got started. I started out at Wawaka and Brimfield as a supply pastor. I got paid just to preach on Sundays and that was it. And so then I went to local pastor school, and I became a full-time local pastor, uh, which means that I've taken some denominational training, but no official education from a college or anything like that. And so I was a local pastor next. And then uh, to be ordained fully, you have to have um, a bachelor's degree, which took me four and a half years because I moved in the middle. 
And then you have to have a master's degree, which is the, one of the longest master's degree programs there is. It's three to five years, depending on how fast you do it. So four, year, four and a half years for my bachelor's, and then I did it in three years uh, to do seminary work. And then you start what's called RIM. RIM is uh, the residence in ministry. So it used to be way back in the day that your very first appointment as a Methodist pastor came when you started RIM, right? When you started the residency program. Now, the Book of Discipline, uh, which is our guidelines, says that the RIM has to be at least two years. Indiana makes it three, uh, because why would we not make it even more complicated? Uh, so, three years I have to be in this, all right? So, so this residency in ministry, it's our residency program. It started off way back. That it was your first appointment. So everything in this, in this is very basic. It's, for example, this week I spent three days on retreat uh, because that's part of the RIM experiences. You have three retreats a year you have to go to. So I was in Indianapolis for three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And they were uh, a bulk of our teaching the last two days was on how to put together a sermon series. So that tells you how applicable some of the learning is. Uh, but... But for those who, especially for those who are just starting off, this is very valuable time. All right. So the problem is, of course, I've been doing this for almost 12 years now. So writing a sermon series is like my bread and butter, right? Like I love preaching in series. But the reason I share this is because when you start the process, when you finish seminary or as you're nearing the end of seminary, you have to write this monstrous paper. There's like 15 to 18 topics, all theological. It's Wesleyan grace. It's uh, your understanding of God in the world and evil in the world and you name it right? You have to write less than 500 words on each topic. The paper comes up, I'm guessing somewhere between eight and 12,000 words, all right? It's massive. And in that very first year, what they want is they want to know that you know Wesleyan theology. They want to know that you know and, and agree with the doctrine of the church. <laughs> so, so they grill you, right? So you submit this giant paper along with like an autobiography and I, have to have a, I had to have a psychological evaluation. Uh, it's a lot. You file all this stuff. And then you get an interview, and they sit, you sit in a room with five or six other people who are already ordained, and they ask you questions. Well, why would you phrase this this way? Tell me why you believe this. And they, they run you through your paperwork, right? So I did that process to get into RIM as I was moving here, all right? Uh, so I am what they call a provisional elder in the UMC. Now, I like that name. They used to call it probationary, uh, which felt way scarier, uh, so you're a provisional elder for the three years you're in RIM. And so this last retreat was my very first one as a third year. I'll have one in September and one in January, and then I'm done with retreats as long as I get this next paper done well. Because the next paper that they ask for, that is for me is due October 1st, is all the same topics, except they want to know two things. They want to know how, have you, how has your beliefs in this area grown over the last three years? And how have you seen this belief played out in your ministry? So, in other words, what they want to know is, how have you grown over the last three years? How has your understanding of God grown? How has your understanding of, of Jesus, of the church, of Holy Spirit, how has your understanding grown in these areas? So I have to do that, and then, <laughs> by, by sheer luck, I'm sure, um, I get to do my interview on my birthday in March. Uh, and so I submit my paperwork, they say it's good, and then I get an interview in March, and then next year, as long as they approve me, I'll be ordained in the summer at annual conference, all right? So it's a lengthy process, but the reason I share this process is because the whole point of these three years that I'm in is that you're supposed to demonstrate growth. You're supposed to show that you are not the same person that you were three years ago, right? In other words, they place the same expectations on their pastors that I've been placing on all of you, 
Because I fully expect that whether I am here for three years or 30, you should be different than when we started together. Where you're at with the Lord should be different. You should have grown in some capacity through our time together. But especially this morning, we're focusing in on the land between. Because all of us have a land between. We've all been through things in our lives that we really didn't want to be in. Right? Sometimes it's, it's the hard things of life. It's, it's, a, it's a divorce. It's a death. It's, it's, it's struggles with your children. Church struggles. Right? We know nothing about that here. Right? We have church struggles. So, so all of these things act as a land between. Right? Because nobody wants to be there. Remember, it's called the land between, which implies there's something where you left from and there's somewhere where you're going. This isn't the destination. And based on my conversations with, with folks uh, since I've been here, these last uh, almost, well, it's 2022, so it's been two years almost, two years in July. Based on my conversations with folks, we've been in a land between for a long time. A long time. We've lacked, we've lacked vision. We've lacked mission. We, we've, we're doing it, but there's no concerted effort. It's kind of, and we don't know, we haven't been able to define our relationship between the Life Center campus and the downtown campus. And, and thank God we finally made a decision on Sunday. <laughs> but now we have to figure out, right? Because where we're at now is we're trying to leave the land between and make it the land between and not the land worth dying in. Because remember, last week, a whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness. Because they couldn't, they couldn't even imagine what it would be like. Surely Egypt must be better. And one of my greatest fears in this process is that, is that part of the motivation in, in launching both of our campuses, that part of the motivation is, let's get back to 1995 as soon as possible. Let's go back to the way that things used to be, the, the glory days, right? The time that on Sunday we talked about, you know, when, when Dick died, they were, we were up over 800 people between both campuses, right? The glory days. And we're like, let's just go back to that, right? But that's our own version of let's go back to Egypt, right? Because the world is not the same as it was in 1995. The world is not the same as it was in 2020. I... I shudder. I, I hate the phrase new normal because that implies we're just going to find a new rut to fall into and that's not what I want. What I want is for us to find our promised land and go claim it. To get out of the land between and claim our promised land. And so my greatest fear in all of this is that we're going to end up as like that generation of the Israelites who go, well, that's great, but it's, it's not as great as it was back here. It's not as good as Egypt because it's not true. So what do we do now? What do we do when we're in this between period, right? I said it's going to take us a few months to get this lined up. Honestly, a lot of that work is going to be happening here. Because our downtown campus, they're 150 years old. Literally, the sanctuary is about to turn 150 in two years. So they've got, they've got a name and a bank account and all the fun legal stuff, and we've got to do all that from fresh. It's going to be a lot of work. But to get out of the land between, we also have to commit to being the generation that is committed to getting out. Because to get out of the land between and to go to the promised land together, to see the blessing of God and to see where God is moving, it's going to take every one of us. 
If it were up to Moses, they would have all gone. But it wasn't. Each person got to choose. Do I want to go or not? And for an entire generation, they chose Egypt. They chose to die in the wilderness. So this week, I wanted to share a note of encouragement. Because we don't have to die in the wilderness. We don't have to let the wilderness kill us off. It can. Okay, I want you to hear that. The wilderness can kill you off. But it doesn't have to. So I want to circle back to the story of Joseph that we shared this morning. If you don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph is like the favored son in his family. There's nobody better than Joseph, according to Joseph. (laughs) And to be fair, his dad. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. So Joseph is favored within his family. He's favored by God. In fact, God gives him these dreams where like, he is top dog over his brothers. Now, I think part of his mistake was he told his brothers that. I am not so bold. <laughs> so he tells his brothers, hey, I have this dream, and my sheath is way up above, and yours are all bowing down to me. Now, look, if my brother tells me that, I'm not going to be thrilled. <laughs> I'm not going to be thrilled. So, so they hatch this plan, and to be fair, not all of them, just the more cantankerous group. They hatch this plan. We're going to get rid of him. So they, they trick him into a hole, and then they sell him into slavery. Right? A guy's coming by, and, and he's like, hey, I'll buy that slave off you. And they're like, great, take him. And so Joseph goes from favored son, favored by God, straight into a land between. Because obviously, if you're favored by God, ending up as a servant or as a slave, probably not the promised land. Right? There was a great song on the radio recently that says, uh, uh, if, if the story's not good, then it's not over yet. Because right? God writes stories that end well. <laughs> and so Joseph ends up in slavery, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, as our scripture reading this morning. And all seems to be going well. He's blessed by God. He's leading the house, second in charge in the house, like immediately, straight to the top. Right? He's favored by God, remember? Straight to the top of Potiphar's house. Except that Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. And I love his response because it's not, it's not, here's all my personal reasons not to sleep with you. His response is, that's a sin against God and I refuse. I'm not going to do something that I know God would be upset about. Now, part of the, part of the pull in the church, the struggle within the church, not just ours, but the church in general, is that we have... We have those who, who believe just like Joseph, and they say, we want to do whatever God wants us to do. And there are, there are some of the rest of us who are partially Joseph. We're like, man, I'm not going to do that because God told me not to, unless, unless these d- demands are met. Right? It's the partial. I'll do this, but not this. But Joseph, he's totally sold out. He says, I can't do it. God, this is a sin against God. I can't do it. And so... So she traps him, tells a lie about him. And that lie ends him up in prison. So Joseph, he's kind of riding the roller coaster here, right? He's got, he's got top guy in his family, and then he's sold into slavery, and he kind of works his way up the ladder again while he's in slavery, and then he's right back to prison. Now look, I don't know, prison is hard, right? Prison is not, uh, prison is not where you want to be. Right? It's not where you plan to be. Nobody, nobody wakes up and their first words are, I can't wait to go to prison. It's not where we, it's not, this is a land between. Right? Prison is a land between. 
Now, it's, it's sad to me because for some people, it isn't. For some people, they get stuck in that cycle, and, and that's where they're going. But man, Joseph, when he goes to prison, you would think, lowest of low, where's God in this? Why would God send Joseph to prison? That doesn't even make sense. See, what we, what we fail to recognize is that sometimes to work the good that God is doing, he sends us through the land between. He puts us in a period of waiting. He puts the church on standby for 15 years as we wait to find our destination. And so Joseph ends up in prison. And what I love in these verses, when he goes to prison, it says, but the Lord was with him. See, we have this tendency, especially when we're in the middle of the land between, we have this tendency to believe that the Lord isn't with us, that God cannot be in those places. God can't be in prison. God can't be with a slave. And yet, you look at, you look at an old hymnal, and I bet you half those songs in there are old, old slave hymns. <laughs> And yet, you know, this week, our, our county jail went viral on Facebook. I don't know if you guys knew this. Um, the inmates did a, like, choreographed dance on this video. It was fantastic. But I had friends who live, like, in Ohio and in Texas who had shared this video. They had no idea that, I was, that I'm in Elkhart County. Right? God is in that place. If you have never been, Corey, who is the uh, like chaplain there, if you've never been to one of his breakfasts where he shows you the ministry they're doing in the jail, holy cow. <laughs> If God is anywhere, he's in that jail. <laughs> See, God is right there in the midst of our land between. But then, when he's there, we get a choice. We can either recognize he's there and, and think, wow, if God's here, there must be a purpose. Right? If God is here with me, there must be some purpose that I'm here. Joseph ends up from jail ends up being top guy at the jail. The warden basically lets him run the place as a prisoner. He gets out of jail and becomes second in command next to Pharaoh. <laughs> Just like that. Like, talk about favor of God. But it was because in Joseph's land between, you never once see him complain about God. Never once. Because he believed and knew that God was with him. And if God's with me, then where I'm at, I got something I got to do. Now look, if, if I didn't believe this to be true this morning, that God is with us in the land betweens, I would have moved already. <laughs> I'm just being realistic this morning. I would have moved. Because this land between has been rough. Right? When I go to write that paper in, a, in, in the summer, and I got to write about how, how I've changed over the last two years, that's going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> piece of cake. But it's because the land between is a ripe place for growth if you will let it. When God sends us to these places, these difficulties, and, and sometimes it's not even God sending us there. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's that some of our own bad decisions have landed us in a situation. Now Joseph gets a direct, he's, he's there, right? There's no denying God has him there for a purpose. But some of us, our bad decision-making, our choices, land us in a scenario that is definitely a land between. And so we have to wonder, okay, if I'm in the land between, how do I get out? How do I get to the promised land? And what I pick up on in the story of Joseph is that Joseph, Joseph was a different person than he was when that story started. 
Because when that story started, Joseph was like showing off. He's like, I'm top guy. And then he was literally the top guy next to Pharaoh and his brothers come. The brothers that sold him into slavery in the first place. And he cries with them. And he says, he's, they're, they're all worried. They're like, oh, we are in trouble. <laughs> and he cries with them. And he says, brothers, God has worked all of this. What you meant for bad, what you meant for evil, God is using for good. And their whole family gets bailed out because the next thing that happens is a famine. And Joseph leads the Pharaoh in being set up for this famine. And everybody survives. He bails his family out. So see, Joseph has this journey of humility, of growth. And all of us are supposed to have the same journey, right? We can look at the last two years or five years or 10 years or however long you want to go back in your life. And you can say, man, I've been in a land between for forever. And you, you might be right. But you got to ask yourself, how do I get out? How do I get out of the land between? You got to grow. You got to be different than you were when you came in. Because if we were the same, if we were the same people that left Egypt to go to the promised land, we would have been in the generation that didn't make it. Because they refused. Surely God can't be in this. And so, so if you find yourself in a land between, we have to ask, how have we responded to it? Have we spent the last two years, the last 10 years growing personally, growing in our, in our beliefs in God, growing in our... In our um, understanding of what he's called us to do? Have we been asking ourselves, what is it God's calling us to do? Because <laughs> let me tell you, as, as, as we talk, as, as the staff, and, and especially like Randy and I, that question, like what is it God's calling us to do? There were so few people asking that question in this process. We had all kinds of thoughts about what we should do with the buildings and the parsonage and the chairs and the statues and you name it. But nobody asked, hey, pastor, what's God want us to do? What's God teaching us in this season so that we can go and claim the land between? So we can say, man, I grew in that and I'm getting out of it. <laughs> and so that's my hope and, and my dream. It's, it's, why I'm, it's why I'm still here. <laughs> because I feel like I've grown a lot during this land between. And I feel like our church has grown a lot during this land between. Because you know, God, uh, numerical growth is not the number one thing on God's list. It's the growth of your spirit, the growth of your heart, the growth of your faithfulness that is most important to God. And so I want you to consider this week, how have I grown in this last season? And that can be however long. And maybe it's, maybe it's not the church stuff. Maybe it's your own personal stuff that you've been going through. I want you to look back and say, have I learned something? Am I different because I went through this? Because if the answer is no, it's probably time to do some soul searching. There's probably something, and, and I, would, I would guess that this is for a lot of you, God has been putting something on your spirit for a long time. And you're just now in this season prepared to say yes. Because you've been pushing back and pushing back. Like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. That's growth <laughs> for you to finally go, okay, God, yes. Or maybe, maybe it's the flip. Maybe it's that you've been doing something that God keeps pushing you to stop. It's the us trying to take control of our own lives 
It's the us trying to hurry things along. Because let me tell you, if it was up to me, this would have been done in a month and we would have been done already. <laughs> My timing is a lot different than God's. But I've learned, I've learned, this is somewhere I've grown, I've learned to be patient. Because if you run ahead of God or you fall behind God, either way, you are in trouble. Because remember, God was with Joseph. God was with Moses. And God is with us this morning. No matter what land between we find ourselves in, God is with us and he wants us to grow and to get out of it. And so I'm just inviting you this morning to grow, to get out of the land between and to come with me and to claim the promised land. Let's pray. God, you have been so faithful to us that even in the situations like Joseph's where he's imprisoned, he's a servant, God, you never left him. And we know that you've never left us. You've never left your church. And so all we want this morning is to do your will, God. We want to know that we know that we know that we're on our way out. So help us to grow, to move out of the land between and into the promised land, to follow the Joshua, to follow the generation that was changed by the wilderness. Guide us, Lord, out of the land between. We're ready. We're ready to continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to be transformed in the name of Jesus.